0: Hello friends and welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 31 of the Plant Power Gut Show and today we're going to be talking about bloating which I know is something that affects millions and millions of people whether they have IBS or they don't whether they're male or female bloating is incredibly common and it's probably the number one health concern or symptom That my clients or potential clients that I speak to complain about I mean bloating is something that we all get it just depends on severity and how chronic it is but surprisingly and not surprisingly honestly at this point in uh, Where we're at with society and the way we eat and the way we live our lives Bloating is becoming really really common and really chronic for a lot of people to the point where It inhibits and impacts their ability to live a normal life and enjoy the foods that they want and do the activities they love. And for some people, this bloating can start the moment they wake up or the moment they take a sip of water and it literally continues on until they go to sleep. And so I wanted to address this today because not all bloating can be attributed to the same one cause. One type of bloating may be different than another and there's so many different things that can contribute to it. So I wanted to kind of lay the groundwork for What causes bloating? What different things can be causing bloating? And share a little bit of my own story because, my goodness, like this is something that really truly played a huge toll on my health and my mental health because I struggled with chronic bloating as well as of course chronic uh, regular bowel movements but the bloating was probably one of the worst things I mean I would go you know out for a dinner and I would have one beer and this was maybe when I was like 19 years old I'd have a beer and immediately immediately I would bloat or I would just finish a meal and I couldn't even move. The bloating was so bad. Like I would have to go and lay down after that meal and I would have to crawl up in a ball, sit in the fetal position and wait until it subsided. And at that point in my journey, I wasn't really getting a lot of help for my symptoms. So it was a little bit overwhelming because it felt like it was really unpredictable And Whenever it struck I really didn't have a lot of opportunity to mitigate things like it was once it happened It was there and quite honestly it just ruined the rest of my day So I want everyone listening to this to be able to really pinpoint where their bloating is coming from what might be causing it so that You can actually get the help you need to prevent this in the first place because, believe it or not, you can overcome the bloat. I promise you that. There's a lot of gimmicks out there. There's a lot of supplements out there. There's a lot of uh, beat the bloat six-week programs and things like that, but a lot of them don't really get to the root cause of what's going on and utilize a lot of different supplements and things like that that I just don't agree with. And I want you to understand from a scientific perspective what the heck's going on in your body because trust me, I know when it happens, it feels really unpredictable, but it also just feels like you have no control over your body. And it's really frustrating. It's defeating. And all you want to do is live your life like a normal person, but your GI tract has a different idea for you. So let's kind of break this down a little bit so that you're not feeling like you are a victim to the bloat. And let's talk about what might be going on here for you Personally, so of course everything I say here uh, must be taken with a grain of salt unless you're working with me Of course, let's chat about this one-on-one further but uh, I definitely recommend that you reach out to a qualified healthcare practitioner Especially if you are trying to get to the bottom of what's going on in in terms of the bloating, because there's a lot of things that might cause it. And some of these are complex health conditions that need a lot of attention, a lot of care, and a lot of investigation. So the first item I have on my list is my favorite thing to talk about, which is constipation. So a lot of people don't realize that if you have chronic constipation, and we'll talk about this in a little bit more depth in a second, in terms of like what really classifies or can be classified as constipation. But just know that if you are backed up at all, you're probably going to have a... Decent amount of bloating because we know that when there is stool stuck in the intestinal tract that isn't moving in a timely matter gas is produced from that stool. Methane gas is produced, and then that methane gas actually causes more constipation, which causes more gas to be produced, and it goes round and round and round and round. So it's it's honestly, they go hand in hand. You can't say, hey, I've got constipation, I don't have bloating. I mean, there might be the odd case where that that is really present for the person, and they just don't get bloating even though they're constipated, but the more constipated you are, the more backed up you are. It's really likely that the more bloated you will be and I see this often So a lot of people don't even know they're backed up They don't know they're constipated and they're just chronically bloated and so uncomfortable And they're like no matter what I eat. It just always makes me feel like crap I always just feel like crap. I don't feel well and I feel bloated all the time And then I talk to them further and i'm like, well, do you fully empty every day? Do you eliminate all of the contents of your food from the day before the next day in full? And do you know that to be true? And so a lot of people don't. A lot of people are not super in tune with their body. They're not doing transit tests every week, although many of us should be. And they're not aware that they are not eliminating fully every single day. They don't really have anything to compare it to. That's the problem with bowel movements is we don't talk about it enough with other people so a lot of us just don't even know what a normal bowel movement a fully emptied bowel movement should be and so maybe we've always been constipated and so we don't talk about it a lot with our family maybe we don't talk about it with our doctor and so this chronic bloating kind of starts to creep in and then we're like I don't understand why but as soon as they talk to someone like myself they're like oh okay So I'm not supposed to be having small rabbit pellet, uh, low volume bowel movements every single day that cause a lot of straining or or need a lot of straining in order to be pushed out. And it's like, no, that's not what we want at all. So if you are curious, what you can do is a transit test where you essentially eat um, about a half cup of corn and see how long it takes you to see that corn in the toilet. I don't recommend chewing it too, too much because you want to be able to identify it in the toilet You should be looking for lighter color. It might not be bright yellow anymore, but lighter color uh, bits of food that are going to be, hopefully you can identify them as corn. So if you're unsure... Definitely do a transit test because a lot of the times if there's any backup over 18 hours So if it takes more than 18 hours to see the corn in the toilet, you're dealing with backup You're dealing with constipation Even though you might not feel like you're constipated because you're going every day You're not fully emptying and so even if you empty around 80% of your waste from the day before 20% still stuck inside of you And it adds up over five days. That's the total accumulation of one full bowel movement And so a lot of people have no idea how easy and how great Honestly, a, a really good bowel movement can be and feel for the person. And in that situation, there's usually very minimal bloating. So I had a client back earlier this year who I worked with and she experienced a ton of bloating. It was just all day. It was chronic. And then we cleared the constipation. We worked on diversifying her diet And she doesn't get bloating very often anymore, which is really cool unless she's super, super stressed. So we worked on that together and it was pretty sweet to see that transformation happen because she didn't really even realize she was chronically constipated and it just took some time to get things regulated and then the bloating went away. So the next thing on my list is sloppy processing. So what is this? This is essentially your reaction to high fiber foods that you are getting because your bacteria are ill-equipped to break down the fiber in those foods. So a lot of people will say, oh, I've got food sensitivities. And food sensitivities are kind of a gray area because they're actually mediated by your microbiome. Your microbiome is responsible. The bacteria in your gut are responsible for breaking down the fiber in a variety of foods that you eat. Any food that has fiber, your bacteria are breaking that down for you. You as a human, cannot do that. You don't have the enzymes, you don't have the ability. And so if your bacteria are damaged, you're missing numbers of healthy bacteria populations, Uh, you just don't have a very diverse gut because your diet's not very diverse, or you've taken lots of antibiotics, or you've just you know lived a lifestyle with poor sleep habits, or lots of stress, then there's gonna be a lot of damage to those bacteria. Those bacteria are gonna be lacking in numbers and they're not gonna be able to break down a wide variety of plant foods that contain a number of different types of fiber. There's over 10,000 different types of fiber in this world, over 10,000, we actually don't even know the full number. And every plant food you consume is going to have a unique blend of different types of fiber, which is pretty cool. But again, if you have a really damaged gut from years and years of certain lifestyle and dietary habits or medications or antibiotics, like I said and you are looking to diversify your diet and you introduce all these foods, or maybe all of a sudden a food becomes a food sensitivity when it was fine five years ago, that's probably due to the fact that your bacteria are not able to break that food down. And so when we get sloppy processing, usually there's gas produced in the process. There's just a lot of symptoms that result from that. Usually irregular bowel movements and gas are going to be the main two things and the gas is going to cause bloating. So I find that when people are trying to introduce new foods that they haven't eaten in years, or it's a high FODMAP food, which is harder to break down. We know that the simple carbohydrates found in those high FODMAP foods are harder to break down. So when they eat those foods, they will get tons of symptoms and bloating will be one of the main symptoms. So that's a product of sloppy processing and it's really different. I might add from, Allergies and from experiencing a full-blown allergy This is just the inability to break down the fiber the types of fiber present in the foods that you're trying to consume And the next item on the list is SIBO. So what is SIBO? SIBO is small intestine bacteria overgrowth essentially Most of your healthy or beneficial bacteria or just most bacteria in general healthy or not or beneficial or not Are supposed to reside in the colon or large intestine, which is the second part of the intestinal tract Now, sometimes if we have poor motility, motility just means how food is moving through the digestive tract, if we have poor motility and we also have dysbiosis or just an imbalance of bacteria, then sometimes those bacteria have the opportunity to travel up into the small intestine where they're not supposed to be. And because they're not supposed to be there, because that's where most of our chemical digestion occurs, they will feed off of the food that enters into the small intestine and they'll cause a ton of bloating they'll create a ton of bloating from gas and fermentation of the food that enters into the small intestine so essentially they're trying to break down that food that enters into the small intestine the part of the gut that we're not really supposed to have bacteria and they create gas in the process and it's not a fun experience because it usually results in this severe distension That no matter what you eat, you always get it. It's a really unique type of bloating, I find. It's kind of like a I'm nine months pregnant situation. And it's usually much more severe than the bloating that will accompany sloppy processing. You can get a test done to confirm that you have SIBO, however, I want to preface this by saying that most people who are diagnosed with SIBO are actually misdiagnosed and are actually just experiencing chronic constipation. Now, a lot of practitioners don't know this because a constipated gut or constipated colon can give a false reading from the methane produced. It's not always a methane positive result, but usually just in In general the gas produced from that constipation is going to give a false positive reading for SIBO and it gets really confusing for some people because they go down the route of taking antimicrobials to address the SIBO for like years sometimes and they're not sure why they're not getting better and it's because they're not addressing the constipation because they go to their doctor or they go to their practitioner usually and they'll say hey, I am going every day, so why am I still having all this relentless bloating? But they're still constipated, even if they're going every day, oftentimes. So I've worked with clients where I've literally been like, okay, you are not actually experiencing SIBO. You are just severely constipated. Let's work on this. And no antimicrobials need to be used. And they are actually able to overcome that bloating, and really regulate bowel movements as well. And it's a pretty cool thing to see because they just feel so much relief after being led down the wrong direction for so long. So I caution you against that testing. Oftentimes symptoms are just enough for me to know if my client is dealing with SIBO, but you can get the tests. They're pretty expensive, but just again, tread with caution and especially if you're working with someone who's not super aware of like what constitutes as constipation because you need to make sure you're ruling that out first. And the treatment or how to address SIBO is usually going to involve antimicrobials. And it's also going to involve cleaning up your diet quite a bit and ramping up fiber. I know a lot of people get confused by this because they're like, well, why would I be feeding these bacteria if they're in the small intestine? But why would you starve them off so that they disappear or they go into remission when you're not feeding them any carbohydrate or fiber-rich foods, and then you try and kill them off with antimicrobials, but they're not there anymore because you have cut off their food source. So we always like to keep uh, high-carbohydrate-rich foods in the diet, fiber-rich foods, um, just cleaning things up, essentially. And I have a lot more details on SIBO and how to address it, and I can tackle that on another episode, but just know that it involves antimicrobials, getting a specific formula, which I create for my clients in collaboration with a certified herbal therapist friend of mine. So that's something that's included in all of my packages and programs. The next items on the list are parasites and candida so I'll start with parasites parasites are essentially just A type of organism that you can pick up from food contaminated food or contaminated water Especially while traveling but you'd be surprised to know how many people actually have parasites and just have no idea Because it's actually easier to pick one up in your home environment than you think So parasites are gonna cause a really big list of unusual symptoms including things like brain fog and just bloating and diarrhea and gas and and so much uncomfortableness and parasites need to be treated quite seriously because if untreated or left untreated they can cause or contribute to severe nutrient deficiencies because the parasite literally is feeding off of you the host and stealing nutrients from you so there's a number of symptoms that i usually look out for and one of them is eating a ton, but always being hungry still. Now, parasites come in all shapes and sizes, but addressing them is going to look pretty similar in terms of a specific protocol. Now, a lot of practitioners will utilize antibiotics and things like that for parasites, and they'll also do stool testing to confirm whether or not they're there. I wanna caution you against... results of your test because it takes on average 10 stool samples in order to get a positive result back for a Parasite if you actually have one and that's because parasites are really really good at hiding in the GI tract And they don't always come out the other end often they do at nighttime But often not during the day. So parasites are a really tricky one and again, you don't want to leave them untreated So if you're experiencing a host of chronic Symptoms that are really extreme. I highly recommend working with someone who is qualified to address a Potential parasite and who trusts that they can help you figure this out Regardless if you have a positive stool sample or not. The next one I mentioned is candida I actually have a whole podcast episode It's the previous episode episode number 30 of this show where I talk about candida cleansing with one of my colleagues and fellow RHNs, Marisa Ricci, and she is really, really knowledgeable in this area. Just know that candida are single-celled yeast-like fungus and they're fine in the body because they live within us without any harm But as soon as they overgrow, that's when they become a problem. But honestly, I will say that half of the time we're dealing with a candida overgrowth, we're just dealing with severe dysbiosis or damage to the gut. And so those candida are given the opportunity to thrive and multiply and grow and cause damage to the gut lining. And also one of the things that they'll contribute to is the bloating. So candida cleansing will be similar to parasite cleansing. And it's something that you want to work with a practitioner on because it's often a little bit of an ambiguous diagnosis. It's hard to get diagnosed, especially by a doctor. Most doctors don't believe in it. So I highly recommend you listen to that podcast if you're curious about that one at all. Just know that candida and a candida overgrowth will contribute to bloating. The next one I wanted to discuss is PMS. So I know a lot of women will say that PMS symptoms are completely normal and that they accompany their Period every single month and that they're just used to it But I'm here to tell you that PMS symptoms are actually not normal They're typically only present for people who have severe hormonal imbalances or at least just hormonal imbalances in general And so the reason I wanted to bring this one up here is because a lot of women will get bloating like really really bad bloating around their time of month and That's a telltale sign that your hormones are out of balance And so you have to understand that this actually goes back to the gut So one of your gut microbes microbiome's jobs is to regulate excess estrogen. There's certain enzymes in the gut that are produced by bacteria that will down-regulate or up-regulate estrogen production and so if that mechanism is wonky and is off, then your estrogen levels may be high, which is usually what we see or what I see personally when it comes to PMS symptoms. So PMS will create a specific kind of bloat that's usually present around your period. And so if you are someone who gets that kind of bloating, just know that it's probably related to hormonal imbalances. And so you're gonna wanna kinda go back to the basics in terms of balancing hormones from a gut healing perspective, which is something that I work on with all of my clients. The next thing I wanted to discuss is poor digestive function. So having irregulated stomach acid is something that can contribute to really just sloppy processing in a different way further on down the GI tract. So if you're getting bloating in the lower abdomen, which is where most of us get bloating, it's not really up in the stomach, which is just below your breasts, then that's probably a sign that you might have issues with sloppy processing from bacteria imbalances, but you might also just have poor digestive function. Now, when I say poor digestive function, I mean your digestive system, your esophagus, your mouth, your stomach, all of that upper anatomy is actually not functioning properly. One of the things that could be going on is perhaps you are not chewing your food properly. And so undigested food particles might enter into the lower GI tract, partially digested, which is going to cause a ton of bloating, or maybe you have inadequate stomach acid levels. Low stomach acid is going to be really really problematic for digesting food and so again partially digested food might enter into the GI tract from your stomach because you have low stomach acid and you also probably didn't chew very well It's usually a killer combo which can lead to a ton of discomfort later on so just know that any time when digestive function is compromised and partially digested food particles are making their way to your small and large intestine there's gonna be bloating from that your bacteria are equipped to handle breaking down fiber but if there's full undigested food particles entering into that part of the body we're gonna have an issue so take a look at digestion take a look at stomach acid with a practitioner take a look at how much you're chewing your stress levels all that stuff that can impact your digestive capability And the last thing I wanted to discuss is a bloating reaction to non food items. And when I say items, I mean, there's really no other way to describe what I'm talking about other than chemicals and things like that, that are added to our food that cause a lot of discomfort and a lot of reactions in terms of bloating and digestive pain for a lot of people. So things like additives, preservatives, food dyes, food colorings, artificial flavorings, even natural flavors, because that title can disguise over 13,000 different things that the company doesn't have to disclose. So there's a lot of things that are added to our food these days that aren't actually food. They're just additives and chemicals and things that we're really not meant to be eating. Now, I know that this is a controversial topic because really when you think about it there's a lot that we've adapted to consuming but at the same time I usually recommend that my clients eat mostly whole foods and going back to basics of course if you want to have some vegan ice cream non-dairy ice cream or something like that where there is going to be additives and preservatives and things like that then definitely know that it's okay to consume those things every once in a while but we want to get back to basics in terms of whole foods and consuming foods that do not have any obscure ingredients that are not actually food or not meant for or not fit for human consumption, because these things can cause a lot of bloating and discomfort for some people. And so this brings me to the end of my list. This is not an exhaustive list by any means. There's still some things that I've missed or forgotten, but these are some of the main things I wanted to discuss because they're often very, very avoidable and easy to address with the right help. So please let me know if you have any questions. Otherwise, I will catch you at the next episode.